I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Goner. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. Today, I have the absolute honor to introduce you to Rock Thomas. I first saw Rock on his video on Goalcast, which has over 72 million views. If you haven't seen his Goalcast video, I highly suggest you do. It is truly life-changing. You will want to share it with everyone you know. He has such an amazing story, and I cannot wait to share it with you. First, let me give you a little bit of his background before we get started. Rock has impacted over 100 million lives. He is the host of the top-rated I Am Movement podcast, a best-selling author and motivational speaker with over 30 years of experience in personal development. From humble beginnings on a small Canadian farm near Montreal, Rock Thomas became a self-made millionaire and devoted himself to helping others learn the power of their identity. Striving to be an inspiration for others by living an authentic and healthy life, Rock is always seeking new ways to learn and to teach, impacting people wherever he goes with supercharged tools, motivation, and zest for life. Founder of the I Am Movement, he is known as the man who redefines lives. Through targeted keynote speeches and seminars, best-selling books, and life-changing programs, Rock helps people turn ideas into action and action into success. His personal and executive coaching sessions help individuals break down barriers and make massive focused changes in their lives. Dedicated to helping businesses and individuals maximize their full potential, Rock is always on the move, seeking new ways to impact lives. He currently calls the world his home, traveling the globe, teaching, training, and studying. And without further ado, welcome, Rock, to Uncover Your Magic. Well, I'm going to try to uncover some magic today. I guess with a little bit of help from you, but it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you. This is just an honor for me. You you were starting this podcast. I'm in, you know, maybe week or month three, and you were the top five probably the toppest of the top five. I just found my list in my journal and I thought, oh my gosh, I can cross him off. I did it. I, he said yes. Well, it's, it's an honor to be here. And I grew up from very humble beginnings. I grew up on a farm and I learned how to work hard and consistently and diligently. A lot of times people ask me, where did your drive come from? And I, I think events shape our drive. I think we're born with a, a modicum of it, you know, something innate but I'd like to believe that every human spirit comes in wanting to be their personal best. We all have a different journey and past lives, depending on what you believe in. But I think that I was fortunate enough to respond to the adversity in a way that I learned to learn, to Mm -hmm. grow. How could I utilize it? I say to people, 
What if everything in your life was an asset? Like literally everything, the car accident, cold you got, losing all your hair like I did to alopecia when I was 40, having acne. What if all those things were actually an asset? Right. And your job was to find the meaning, the magic, if you will, in that experience. And you get the return on that investment based on your creativity and your imagination. One person, you know, I pulled my PCL once, tore my PCL and did a whole seminar standing up the entire time because I have this belief that there's always a way when you're committed. I learned a lot of that from Tony. Watch Tony, you know, never quit. Right. And so what if you made, you know, each person made that something in their life where there was a path. It was you to, up to you to find that path and find the best of you to walk that path with intention. And I think that's a lot of what I've learned in my life. With your background, with your dad being that, you know, not being the best doesn't support you and makes you like really feed, what, 20 horses before you could have breakfast? Learning that farm kind yeah. of stuff. I mean, my father went to war, right? So for him, eating, you were lucky if you got to eat. Right. So to work to eat was a privilege almost from his lens, from his perspective. And so I learned to work hard and I learned that on the flip side of that, though, my little child brain went, I'm not worthy of food unless I work. Mm -hmm. And what happened to me, my psychology is that even today, there's remnants of it left. I would very easily get up and immediately do some work, like just like be in my underwear pretty much and go and, you know, move something, build something, fill a box up with something just because I'm being so hardwired to do that before I eat something. Like so always eating. trying to please, but you're trying to please your dad, right? You're trying to get yeah. that, that. I was trying to please him to get his attention, to get him to be proud of me. But eventually what you do repeatedly becomes who you are. So now I'm just like, I make a great employee because I don't get sick. I don't complain. I show up early. I stay late. I go the extra mile. I've been constructed by my father as a really, really great worker. And so that's a huge benefit. At the time, it doesn't feel like it. At the time, you feel like, you know, I just want to be loved. I just want to be part of something instead of throwing outside of work again. But everything is an asset, and right. it's up to you to find out how to use it that way. And I've, I've worked on my compassion, and I've worked on you know, being more loving in the later parts of my life. Being more loving, you had to learn that, you mean, because you didn't have that as an example? Oh, my God. I mean, I broke my arm as a kid, got kicked by a horse, and went running to my dad, and he said, go to your room and shut up. Two weeks <laughs> later, I went to my mom's house because I, I shared custody and I complained of a sore arm. She took me to the doctor. They found out that it had been broken. They had to re-break it and put it in a cast. So I came home and with the cast, and he goes, what did you do? And I go, well, remember two weeks ago? And he's like, ah, sissy, and walks off. So I learned that being in pain and showing vulnerability and weakness was not rewarded. So mm -hmm. I shut that part of myself off. So you're a father, right? You have mm -hmm. three kids. Mm -hmm. Did that change? Did you want to change that way as you wanted to be a different kind of dad? How did you? Yeah, I, of course I did want to be a different dad and I was a different dad, but it was still at times, you know, we would be outside, I grew up in Canada skating, let's say, my, with my girls. 
They'd be out 10 minutes and be, Daddy, my fingers are a little bit cold. And I'd be like, okay, give me your gloves. I go, now go skate with no gloves. <laughs> what, Daddy, they're freezing. Okay, go for five minutes like that. Like I would be that harsh. Because hmm. I'd be like, I had to, you're skating with padding and, and insulation <laughs> on. I went out in the farm with no gloves, didn't have gloves. When my brother hid them. And I still had to feed 22. Are you kidding me? So it was that part of myself, like I became my father's voice. And you and caught I, yourself? Like you felt like you were, you catch it and then try to make it for the benefit of them because you knew better? Sometimes I wasn't conscious of it. Sometimes I was a dick. What would they say about their childhood with you? They would say they got, so I divided it up into support, encouragement, and challenge. If a parent is so supportive that they make your lunch, they put a little love note in it, and they drop you off at school, and they hold the umbrella, and they fight your battles for you at school, you're never going to be able to handle the real world because it's going to be tough. Right. Encouragement is nice when you come home and you say, Mom, I studied so hard on my exam, and I got a 65. I thought I was going to get a 90. She goes, oh, you know what? You'll do better next time, honey. That's pretty good. Like, come on, I guess. Maybe the teacher was tough. Or let me see it. And they give you hope for a better future. And challenges the parent, the kid who comes home with a 90 and the father or mother says, you could have done better than that. Go to your room and study. So depending on what you grew up with, I grew up with 95% challenge. I was very capable of being a warrior, very good there. But now when I went to raise my children, I lacked the empathy of the other parts. So I had to work on those. Hmm. Now, a lot of people I work with and help become millionaires through my tribe, they lacked the tough love and the challenge. And they're like, I don't, do I have to work right. after five o'clock? Can I have my weekends off and become a millionaire? Do I really have to learn how to do a landing page? Could you do it for me? <laughs> so they don't have that component. So to me, it's about balancing those pieces out, finding out where you came from, and then enriching the other parts and creating a more holistic person. Right. So your kids, I remember hearing something about, I think it's your oldest daughter. She graduated from college at 17. My youngest daughter. Yeah. She's youngest. Year. Yeah. How did that work? Mm -hmm. Because of your, like the way you raised her? Yeah. I would say she adopted a lot of the character traits. She was the youngest. She wanted to keep up with the other kids. I was the youngest of seven kids. She skipped a grade. She didn't want to be left out. She was tough. And she moved to New York City at 17, became a model. Wow. And now you let her. And that's part of your, like, your tough, because I don't know if I have a 14-year-old, and I don't know if I would let her go at 17. But maybe you I'm know, too protective, you know? Well, I'm not saying it was the smartest thing to do, but she demonstrated her whole life she could take care of herself. Hmm. So I trusted her. And, you know, crossed my fingers, it's worked out. She's 24 now, and she's a model and an actress in LA. So, you know, she took on part of that part of me, I guess. Yes. The other part of you raising kids and then we'll move on, but was when you had that story of where you made them type and you mm -hmm. blindfolded and so, and they were just like so mad at you. I'm mm -hmm. relating this because I'm raising my kids right now and that in this mindset, like I have Paige signed up for that global youth leadership program of Tony's. Yeah but yes. got canceled, but she'll go next summer. You know, I just always want to instill all this stuff. I mean, I have, you know, you just want your kids to learn this. And I think sometimes, you know, at school, it's just the basics. And I don't feel like they're learning these life lessons, you know, that you did instill in your kids and that I'm wanting to, but 
with that. I love that story because it made me realize like, you know, they can learn how to type. I'm just going to sit here and make them right. Like that's, you just, and then they love you for it. Later. (laughs) (laughs) They want to go out and play and they want to do stuff and be kids. But I really believe that for every disciplined effort is a multiple reward. And I wanted to give them an edge today. They're very grateful for that. They're very grateful that I made them do reviews on books and practice public speaking in our living room and get feedback. And so now they don't have that fear of public speaking. So I think, you know, parents do it with piano lessons and kids hate it and roll their eyes doing scales. And then later on, they're like, thank you. That's great. I'm a musician now. So you got to choose your spots with your kids. But I think, you know, you're a coach and you know how to ask quality questions. I think that's the key is to say to your kids, you know, do you want to have an edge on life? Do you want to be able to do your homework twice as fast, three times as fast as everybody else? Well, then we're going to pay a little bit of the price up front. And you're going to get a huge return later. Just trust me, right? A friend of mine once told me, he goes, hey, kid, have you ever been 45? And the kid goes, no, dad, I'm 14. He goes, right. But I've been 14, so you're going to listen to me. Right. right? So true. You know, you the people that you say you're coaching that want you to do it all and write their goals down for them. You know, we're raised kind of handheld and not really mm-hmm. that way. How do you get them to get that mindset into, I need to get my into that work ethic or the hard work ethic, and I have to do it myself, and I got to do it every day. I can't take days off. Well, thanks to NLP and my friend Tony, I learned how to access leverage with people by asking questions and discovering what's important to them and what they want and doing a mini Dickens Dickens on them from UPW. What would that be like if you never work out again for the next five years? Do you like being 30, 40 pounds overweight and diabetic? Is that the compelling future you want to create for yourself? When would now be a great time for you to get in the gym and start working out at least 10 minutes a day? Let's start small and let's work up to that until we can shift your identity. I wrote a book called The Power of Your Identity, the words that follow I am follow you. And this guy I worked with last year, who's 65 years old, and he came to me and he says, Rock, my grandson wants to spend time skating with me on the rink, but I can't keep up with him. I, I'm too overweight and I get tired. And he kind of laughs at me twice around the rink, Grandpa, that's it. <laughs> he goes, I want to lose some weight. But he goes, I'm 65, I'm 265 pounds. I've been this way most of my adult life and I don't know where to start. So I said, the way you start is on the inside is we're going to change your identity from that of an overweight senior citizen that has been dieting his entire life, drinking seven diet Pepsis a day to an athlete. How would an athlete think, behave, act? What would they put in their body? Nine months later, 199 pounds skating for an hour and a half. Boom. Change your identity. You change everything. And. Will you explain that to my listeners? Because I every morning on the way to school, we do I am statements. I have mm-hmm. since they were in first grade when I try to explain it. And I think that's so important. And I instill that so much. And so when I hear your how you even learned from that real estate, the guy that you bought the real estate company from, where he mm-hmm. said, you know, you're, you think you're, what was that? Where he changed your identity and you just started wanting to be, you wanted to look at yourself differently? Yeah, well, I mean, I, when I was younger, my brothers and sisters called me Pizza Face. And so I carried around this identity. We all tell ourselves a story about who we are, right? I'm good looking or I'm ugly or I'm short or tall or bald or beautiful hair. We have a million parts of our story. I'm dyslexic. I'm ADD. We have all these labels we give ourselves or be suggested to us that we adopt, we take on, 
right? Right. You don't have to take them on. Somebody walks up to you and says, you're beautiful or you're ugly. You don't have to listen to either of them or you may listen to both of them and believe both of them partially. So the idea is that you construct yourself in a way that's empowering. Well, taking on pizza face, looking in the mirror and thinking I was ugly every day for 20 years because my brother wanted to feel better about himself than me because he was shorter than me and blah, 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 didn't empower me. My coach came along, my mentor came along, and he taught me that those labels are merely suggestions. They don't have to stay with you for the rest of your life. Saying you're ADD could be great for a fireman, could be exactly what he needs to be the best. It may not even be true, but it may be useful. So in my work, I teach people, is it useful, the current story you're telling yourself? Is it empowering to tell yourself you're dyslexic or ADD? I'm dyslexic, and it's empowering to me because Tom Cruise is dyslexic, and so is Steve Jobs. And when I write on the board at a seminar, I tell people, hey, guys, sometimes I'm going to spell wrong. I have, I'm a little dyslexic. Can you help me out if I spell something wrong? It actually brings me closer to the audience, where before I tried to be perfect and hide it. Right. So the transformation happened when I took a model that I could mentor, Clint Eastwood, and I changed my identity from pizza face to ruggedly handsome. I love that. Because and the only thing you need to do is invest in repetition because you're saying something to yourself all the time anyway. So right. do you want it to be useless, disempowering, or useful and empowering? So if I came to you as a client and mm -hmm. I didn't believe in myself, I had no self-worth, you know, I kept losing jobs, what kind of work would you do with me? Would it be writing stuff down? Would you tell me what to say every morning? So I would rarely tell anybody what to do. I ask questions and I would take you through a seven step process that elicits what's important to you and what are some of the old patterns you have until you're somebody that can start to get on a path for progress and start to feel better about yourself. We would probably talk about your morning routine, make sure that you're doing something to agitate and motivate yourself, get your cells alive, get your mind alive and give you some of the guardrails to success. So there's fundamentally things that help you feel better about yourself. You know that you have days where you feel crappy, even though your life is great. And you have days where you feel great, even though your life is crappy. So it's really a question of focus and developing that muscle of focus, adding value. If you ever want to feel good about yourself, just go help somebody, go serve somebody. You'll feel better than focusing on what you don't have. So yeah, there's a process, but I have learned that the, the reason people go to seminars like Tony Robbins or Landmark or what have you and don't sustain the success is they don't have a community. Go back to your cesspool of mediocrity, your cranky neighbor, your the person at work that doesn't like their job, your spouse that's frustrated with their boss. You have to manage all that. So the best thing that you can do is to change your environment and is to surround yourself with cool, badass people that want to have high-minded conversations. And that's why I created my mastermind, because I was sick and tired of watching people invest thousands of dollars and hours getting themselves into a state where they feel like they're unstoppable, only to have a few months later be completely back to where they were. Because of the, like Tony Robbins talks, proximity is power, right? But is it because they surrounded themselves, their tribe is the wrong, like they have to reevaluate who they surround themselves with? 
Yeah. I mean, let's say you go to an event, Tony Robbins Wealth Mastery or something, and they talk about investing in real estate. And you go home and you start telling a few people that know nothing about real estate. They tell you there's a bubble coming. You should be careful. Watch out. You lose your faith, your conviction, and you end up not doing anything and going back to your job. And you never advance with your you know, march toward your financial freedom. Come into my ecosystem and the people we are trained to support, encourage, challenge people. You come back from an event and you say, hey, Rock, I'm thinking of uh, buying myself a triplex. And go, Ashley, tell me about that. What does that look like? What are the numbers on that? How can I help you? Can I introduce you to Norm who has 2,000 doors? He's got a spreadsheet on the numbers. Why don't you run it by him and see if it's a fit and if he would green light it for you or not and give you some feedback. So that whole ecosystem is all about success. It's bred to, to have you succeed. And the moment you get complacent, it's bred to challenge you. Right. And that's a game changer because most people are trying to survive versus thrive. And the going to those seminars and spending the money. And, you know, you hear these people think that, you know, whatever, $5,000, $100,000 to be a platinum member, right? All that money. But I really believe and when you put that money out there in yourself and you invest and you come home and you still are working and you're not just going back to work and forgetting that you just did that, it'll come back, right? Totally, Ashley. It's like saying that hiring a trainer and going to the gym three days a week and having a badass, you know, workout, like the really a great workout. But for the rest of the week, eat absolute crap, whatever you want, sleep badly, drink, et cetera, and expect to get in great shape. It's never going to happen. You've got to have your community and your ecosystem at home and your day-to-day environment in concert, in parallel with the highest vibration you get from your mentors and your coaching so that it supports. Like you drink from the well, you go back, but you don't go back to nothingness. You don't go back to do whatever you want. There's still a container. When you were going through your life and having rituals, how do they change like every year? Do you see something working and then something not working, but what are your rituals now? And what were they back then when you were trying to get to where you are today? Yeah, great question. I would say that they do change one for age. I swim now, do more yoga, less bodybuilding because of age and because of the wear and tear in the body. So it's a fundamental change, but exercise is still a part of it. I would say there was a period of time when I grinded where I worked a long time for at least 20 years, 80, 90, 100 hours a week. Today, I work three half days, and I call it work, it's not really work, but three half days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, and then I'm basically done. I do a lot more hiking, golf, outdoor stuff, gardening, simple things, but more soulful things. Travel a lot, I have what I call before COVID, a 6411 lifestyle, six months in Arizona, four months in Canada during the summer, one month in Europe, and one month in Asia. Oh, wow. I always wanted that style of life because you can follow the sun around. You can also take advantage of, you know, off season. You go to Thailand, you get, you can live like a king, stay in a hotel for 200 bucks a night that would cost $1,000 a night here. So it's just about, you know, being a little, getting some hacks on life. Did you see yourself, say, 20 years ago? Were you a visualizer and you saw, this is rock. I see him right now. He has his I am movement, all that. Did you visualize that? Or 
how did you see yourself and how do you complete those goals and visions for your life? I would say I was a goal setter, kind of like if you put the, at nighttime, the headlights of your car on, I could see a hundred yards away, but I couldn't see further than that. I didn't believe it. I never would have believed that my goal cast would be seen now by a hundred million people, that I'd be an author, this little kid who struggled in school, be an author, that I'd be a public speaker when my brother and sister told me that I can't even string one sentence together. And I used to shake to speak in front of three people Even 20 years ago, when I bought my company, I couldn't, I broke down out of nerves speaking in front of 65 people. So I think that, you know, you take the next step, you dream a little bit bigger, you get yourself on a plan for progress. I don't know if you know Ed Milet, you know Ed Milet? I've heard of that name, yeah. So he's a pretty big podcaster. He's personal friends with Tony. He's neighbors with, or was with Kobe Bryant. And he came to an event that I was at and everybody at the event was 110 people got a chance to meet him and get a picture very quickly, just like snap, 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 snap. We all got in the audience. And then from the audience, he was talking about his purpose and his purpose is to see greatness in people. And he goes, I think it's a gift of mine. And he goes, for instance, take rock. And he pulled me out of the crowd of 110 people. The only person he singled out and he goes, When you meet this guy, there is a transference of energy Hmm. that is undeniable. His eyes drill through you. He's a seeker. He's looking. He wants more. He wants to grow. He wants to contribute. And I was so honored because this is a guy who, you know, meets a lot of people. And for him to communicate that to me was, it was symbolic of the work that I think each of us get to do in private. You don't get that level of, you don't get the level of intensity that Tony Robbins has by just stepping on stage and pulling it off then. You get it by doing it consistently. Right. I totally and see that. So that's the part I think that people, people want to be great when they want to be great. But the Michael Jordans of the world, they're great in practice. You get great in practice, then you can perform in public like a pro. So how do you get there? What are you doing along the way to get there? And what made him pull you out? What made you think out of those 100 people that you shine so bright to him? What are the qualities that he saw in you? The 20 bucks I slipped them? (laughs) You asked me, was I a visionary? I think that it's so important for you to spend time thinking about how you want to live your life, what you want to create. Not that you take yourself away from the present, but that you have time contemplating the future. And I think I've been good at contemplating the future, preparing for the future, anticipating the future. And leaders are ready to make decisions because they prepare for the upcoming moment. And I think a lot of people don't do that. They kind of go through their life in a haze. So I think the practice is spending time meditating, visualizing, writing, journaling, thinking, processing, you know, critical thinking. And then when opportunities come your way, you meet this person, you can look him in the eye and say, bam, wow, you're one of the guys I wanted to meet instead of, hi, nice to meet you, right? Right. I rehearse a lot of my week before I actually live it so that when I show up, I show up in the best possible way that I know how to because I've prepared for it, right? Right. What is your vision of Rock Thomas in after we get out of this quarantine thing? Do you, have you really spent this time the last two months 
like creating a new rock, like trying to see what you can do different or has it been the same? You just haven't been traveling as much. I think we're all going to change a little bit. I don't buy into all the fear, of course. I don't wear a mask. I don't worry about it. I don't worry about getting sick. I don't believe in it. I think that if I get it, I'll, I'll handle it. But I get why they had to do a lot of things they did. Well, I have an online community, so I was, you know, eight years doing this online on Zoom calls. So mm-hmm. we were perfectly positioned. My business is accelerating faster because of coronavirus than it would have. Now, my real estate business got affected and I had to pivot a little bit. But the other one is going faster and harder. And what we're doing is we're just taking the seminar to the virtual world. Tony's doing it. He's going to do a virtual UPW. I've been doing virtual master classes in my communities with breakout rooms, exercises, music, the whole thing. So we're already jumping ahead of the curve because I'm like, what's going to happen? How do we, what's going to happen in the future? Ask those questions and then take action, adapt, get feedback, course correct take action, adapt, get feedback course correct. And you keep on doing that, you'll stay ahead of the curve. So that's what we've been doing. I'm excited about where we're headed. we been very blessed to have not expected this to happen, but we knew from the groups I'm part of that something was going to happen to the economy. So fortunately, I had a lot of cash and the stock market has been wonderful the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. And so I've been able to take advantage of that. I didn't in 2008, but I promised myself the next time I would be able to. So there's been some days where, you know, it's been pretty sweet. So I'm going to completely shift right now because I know that you're in an amazing, loving relationship and you found your soulmate. And I love the story of how you met her. But I want to know, because you have been married two times before you met her, three times. So what was going on in your marriages before that now you feel like, okay, she's my soulmate. Take me on that. Yeah, I think that what happens is getting married in your 20s is an interesting conversation. When you come from a broken family like I did with hardship that I did, I don't think I really knew who I was. So that in and of itself, the growth was exponential. The next person was a rebound was completely the opposite of the first person. And so that, for whatever reason, didn't work out. You know, I'm a work in progress and I'm not an easy guy to be with. I'm a very intense character. I have big dreams and goals. I don't sleep much. I like to do a lot. Not the easiest guy to keep up with. Mm -hmm. But I also like my alone time. So if you're in a relationship and people want to spend a lot of time together, you got to manage that. So, and the past doesn't disappear completely. So you can either ignore it and cover it up by staying really, really busy or coping with certain addictions like workaholism or, or drinking or drugs or gossip or whatever. So I worked my way through a lot of those things, but it doesn't mean that it's over. There's still moments where, you know, my childhood clashes with hers and But I'm a little more mature now, and I think I'm a little bit more ready to stick the course. Instead of in the past, I had a sense of entitlement a little bit. I'm like, go ahead, go out there and see if you can do better than me. And it came probably more from a deep down fear that I wasn't enough, but it showed up as a sense of narcissism. And it's just a work in progress. I don't know what else to tell you other than that. I've learned to become more loving of myself and more compassionate to myself. And that helps 
be like that for the other person in the relationship as well. And when you met your new girlfriend, she's not new, but your girlfriend, soulmate that you're in, completely in love with, what was it about her that you just knew like at that moment in your life? Hmm. Well, I love the embedded suggested questions that I knew. I don't know if I knew. I knew that I was willing to discover. One thing that saddens me is when people go in a few relationships and then they, they are hurt. And the same thing can happen in business. You start one or two businesses and then you, um, you never want to go in business again because you went bankrupt. I have a very, very resilient and I'm always willing to pursue my dreams and goals. And so when I met her, she is pure love and non-judgmental and incredible source of love. Probably what I needed because I've been so tough on myself most of my life. And I guess she's allowed me that, that space to heal. And she's gorgeous. She's sexy. She's fun. She's smart. She's healthy. She's vibrant. She's an incredible inspiration for me. She's a vegan. I'm a vegan now. She's a yoga teacher. I've fallen in love with yoga. So I think that if you're lucky enough to be with somebody that inspires you to be a better version of yourself mm -hmm. and you appreciate yourself more. And I hopefully have, you know, inspired her a little bit too. But you saw that in her right away. Not all of it. Not all of it. I mean, I was captivated by her joy and her happiness and her zest for life. And then it kind of all, you know, came about. She's not the type of person that downloads and like, oh, you, I'm a vegan. You should be a vegan. Right. She just leads by example quietly. Yeah, I love that. You start to ask questions and you're like, well, how come you don't eat during the day? Like I've got my green drink here, right? Right. Oh, I just have a green juice at lunch. I go, how do you survive? That's not enough. <laughs> She'd explain it. I wouldn't believe it. And over time, I'm like, oh, now I live that way. Cute. So does she get up in the morning? I, I want you to tell my listeners your I am statements that I love that I've written down. But does she get up and do things like that like you do? Like we're does she meditate and all that? We're on a different schedule. I get up generally between four and five and often go to the 5.30 yoga class unless I'm on a call because East Coast starts a little bit earlier. She likes to get up and have her matcha, connect with the animals, connect with nature. We have a garden, so she waters the garden. She has a few clients she connects with that she coaches and she'll relax outside and connect with them. So she's got a very Zen meditative kind of start. And then mm -hmm. she'll go to her yoga class around 9.30. So we have different speeds, but at the end of the day, we're fairly similar. So she has one incantation and one prayer or, or mantra, she says, and it's very simple. I am love. I am love. I love that. And she is love. Yeah. Simple. Will you she share yours with me? You'd be taught nothing from me in that department. <laughs> But will you share your, I am your 10 that you use yes. and why you picked 10? Yeah, I am gifted, guided, and grateful, powerful, passionate, and playful, sexy, sensual, and sensitive, and blessed. And you picked 10? I picked 10 because I work out a lot. And every time I was doing, you know, my reps, I, you know, pushing the weights up, typically go to 10. And I thought, I know how to count to 10. Tired of hearing myself count to 10. What if I replaced that with words that gave me more passion and energy and emotion and, and I was able to drill that into my body? Think about the number of times I've counted to 10 and I replaced that with something that was more useful. 
And that's where I came up with it. And that's why you can wake me up in the middle of the night. It's not like I have to memorize it. I've said it literally hundreds of thousands of times. And each word, by the way, has is the tip of the iceberg, right? I'm right. gifted with an elite athletic body, a desire to change people's lives, to be in the right place at the right time. Each one has the whole litany of meaning to me that when I say it, I can you know, bathe in that or I can just stay at the top of it as well. When you are saying that, so you get up in the morning, you do you meditate? You remind me of being like hard to like calm your mind. Yeah, I'm more of a Tony Robbins meditator, kind of the priming thing, but I will meditate and I will sometimes do guided meditations. Sometimes I'll just sit there and observe my, my own thoughts. But the best meditation for me is hot yoga. It's a joining of my body and my mind. And I'm a very physical person. So it's best that when my body kind of goes through that process and then I lie down in Shavasana at the end, that's when I can really feel like the meditation I'm allowed to. My body is not, my mind are not fighting. They're more in harmony. So I just finished 75 days of yoga in a row. And that was basically, you know, my meditation. Um, plunges like Tony the, or the cold showers. I used to until I went for a test with my naturopath and she told me that I had lead poisoning and mercury poisoning and I'm on a cleanse and that my adrenals were depleted. Hmm. And she goes, you don't need to do anything like that. You're a warrior already. You don't need to shock your system. You've been shocking your system your entire life. Now it's time for you to heal. It's time for you to be gentle with yourself. And that's why I go down this path of being a little bit less, you know, intense and doing things where I'm playing football or things that are ultra intense, more of a softy now, meditation, yoga, swimming. Nice. So it's a new flavor for me. You know, for some reason, I love Wayne Dyer and I just get this vision of him with you because that's Mm -hmm. kind of how his life, he used to run and then all of a sudden he's into the yoga, you know, like I feel this parallel with you and him. True. Good point. Neat to listen. I started when you started telling me that. I thought, gosh, he reminds me of Wayne Dyer, and you're doing saying a message and so similar. But with the bald like him, and you're bald like him. (laughs) So, as far as like your tribe or the mentors you surround yourself with, how do you do? They stay in your tribe? Do you push them out when they're not like you know they're not encouraging you or allowing you to grow? How do you create that tribe that you? Is it a big tribe? Is it just you have five people that like a Tony and, you know, who do you surround yourself with? So eight years ago, I met a guy who I thought was super cool. He's doing a presentation as I will do. I will go up to the speaker, introduce myself and try to connect and add them to my network. We chatted. He invited me to go golfing. We connected and then he invited me to, he says, in a couple of months for getting together, we're skiing with 17 guys are all coming to my house in Colorado. Do you want to come? And one of the things I teach people is say yes and figure it out later. Opportunities will come to you if you're prepared. So I didn't ask him how much it would cost, where I would sleep, nothing. I just said yes. And he goes, you don't ask me how much it costs. I go, I don't really care. If I get to hang out with you and a bunch of people like you, that's all I need to know. And if you're going to rip me off just to make a couple of bucks and you're not who I think I am, and I'll be a lesson I'll learn and I'll move on. He smiled and he goes, no, we'll have a chef come to the house and you'll sleep in one of the guest rooms and you'll be fine. 6,000 square foot home, you'll be fine. I thought, "I, I figured so. We hung out for three and a half days. We went skiing. We did cool stuff together. We ate meals together. We talked about success. We played cash flow. We talked about passive income, how to get out of the rat race, really cool stuff. 
And I saw from what I knew that if I gave it a bit of structure from my experience as a platinum partner and working in that environment, we could create something really cool because he had a lot of cool friends and I had the structure. Long story short, we all invited a couple of cool friends. It grew from, you know, six or 17. There were six core that became the, the leaders of it to 1735, 65, 110, we started doing on events, invited Robert Kiyosaki, Robert Hirschbeck from Shark Tank. And, you know, it's really cool when you put men together because we get to try to figure you women out, which is an <laughs> endless thing anyway. So we feel like we're not alone in that pursuit and we can become a better version of ourselves along with building our castles, right? And ultimately, men want to be the best version of themselves so that they can please a woman. They really do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always look that way because we're at different stages of our life, but that's really what we want to do. And so we got really into it. We traveled around the world doing cool events, but also studying the five love languages and different things and sitting oh, around cool. the campfire at the bottom of, you know, a fjord in Norway and talking about what do you do when you come home so that your woman feels understood? And the guy's like, ah, oh, you know what? I get off my cell phone 10 minutes before I get home and make sure I'm present. And so we just started giving each other tips and helping each other be better versions. And, and then the wife starts saying, you need to go on that trip. When you come <laughs> home, you're so much better. Go again. Right? So from that, we started to create some of the content for women. And then I created a group where, because the one we created, you had to be a millionaire. And the reason we put that is that millionaires generally have time to travel and do cool stuff. We didn't want people struggling with time and money. So now we have six different divisions, thousands of people that have been through it. Just huh. depends on what your flavor is. But if you want to be with people that are high-minded, that really are as interested in your success as they are in their own success, they're going to bring something to the table. They're going to ask for help. They're going to offer help. It's a really cool environment and, you know, we've shifted a lot of lives and all the way from helping people lose 100 pounds, they couldn't lose 100 pounds, to quit smoking, to renew the relationship and mostly to creating passive income vehicles so they don't have to work. Neat. So what, going back to the love language, what is your love language? So acts of service is my number one, probably hmm. because growing up, I felt like I had to do everything and nothing much was done for me being the youngest of seven. I haven't met a lot of men where physical touches, at least in the top three. Giving a gift is definitely last. I couldn't care less about that. I can go get, I have what I want generally. It's always nice, but it doesn't make me feel loved. And the worst thing you can do is tell me something like, I love you, but don't back it up with actions because then it's worse than not telling me at all. Mm-hmm. So really acts of service, quality time, touch, words. What would be the best, like in an act of service for you, for your woman? Well, I happen to be in love with an international chef. So she cooks the most amazing food uh, and cook and grows the vegetables fresh in our garden. So we shop very, very little. We're almost 100%. Oh, wow. So taking care of my health, my nutrition and my taste buds, all of that is a huge one right there. Neat. Being loving, fun, sexy, and playful is another one. She's a ballroom dancer, so she's got those character traits kind of nailed down. She's also into fashion, so she can wear a pair of sweats really cool, and she can also, like yesterday we went to the hardware store, and she 
dressed up in this gorgeous, fully dressed. And I'm like, <laughs> hey, we're not going out to dinner. She goes, you know how I roll, sweetheart. Cute. So she just looks delicious all the time. Oh, I love that. And then we're coming to the end, and I just wanted to ask you just a few more little questions that, that would kind of help my listeners. But what would be the one thing that you could use as a tool or takeaway that could make them wake up in the morning and really focus on changing their mindset of, you know, any kind of limiting beliefs that they have about themselves or, you know, self-sabotaging words that they speak? What would be the best thing that we could take away from that? Brené Brown says most people live the I am not enough from the moment they wake up. I didn't get enough sleep. Oh, shoot, there's not enough coffee in the machine. Oh, my God, there's not enough gas in the car. I don't have enough time. Hurry, kids, hurry. They live the I am not enoughness. So there's probably a big chance that some of your listeners have parts of that as well. So many people talk about the morning routine. Mm -hmm. I think there's not enough people that talk about the evening routine. Because I think the way you go to bed is going to serve how you get up. So I like to journal. I have my journal with me all the time by my bedstand. I like to journal and ask several questions. If people want a good list of quality questions, they can go to rockthomas.com and get my book for free. There's a ton of questions in there. But they're questions like, what do I enjoy today? What made me laugh? What did I do well? Who did I contribute to? And you, as you jot those down, what happens is you know you're going to do it the next night. Your brain starts to look for opportunities during the day to fulfill those questions. Yes. Oh, I love that. So you start to look for how can I contribute? You help the old lady across the street. When did I laugh? You see something funny and you give yourself an opportunity to really have a good belly laugh or you laugh at yourself when you trip over the sidewalk instead of being so serious. And you start to see that you can construct part of your day by being intentional the night before. And I would say that that's probably the easiest way to do it. And then, as you drift off to sleep, just ask your unconscious mind to solve a problem you have. I love that. Do Thank you. you. You're right, though, about the morning rituals. That's always, it's, no one ever talks about the evening rituals. I think they get tired and they just think it's time for bed and they yeah. don't have that same. And it's such an impact to, I get it, because your mind is set on all day. How am I going to fulfill those answers? It makes it there an intention. It sets the intention for your day, Right. Yeah, and you'll wake up with great ideas. You'll wake up, you know, first thing in the morning and you lean over and you maybe give your honey a kiss. And then you say, you know what? I haven't brought her a cup of tea in a long time. You go make her a cup of tea and that's your first act of contribution. And you start to gain this momentum where you start to do the little things that really matter in life. And, you know, you take the dog out for a pee instead of leaving it for her to do, whatever your routine is. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the other person now starts to respond and then you feel better. And the momentum kicks in. So uh, Amazing. Love that. So where can we find you? Like the Instagram, you have the website. Yeah. So the I Am Movement podcast is a great place to go and check us out and where I interview thought leaders. Like you. Oh, I love your podcast, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. It's binge listening. Thank you so much. Love uh, it. Then just go to rockthomas.com and you can check out all the stuff we have there, free books, um, follow me on Instagram or any of the social media outlets, YouTube channel. I've got a lot of great stuff on the YouTube channel. And then just check us out and see if there's something we can do. We have all the way from free to really cool master classes and inner circle stuff. It just depends on what people are looking for. And I don't really care where you're at. We'll meet you where you're at. 
from free to you can invest in and hang out with us in my personal house and do some cool stuff. So as I say to people, it's not your money I want, it's your success story. So just decide where you're at and what resources are lacking. Maybe we have some of them. Oh, thank you, Rock. I appreciate this so much. This is check off my list of the most amazing person that I could be staring at right now. I appreciate what a great spend my hour. You lifted my life. I really appreciate it. I You're can't wait gracious. for my listeners to hear you. You're a gift. Thank you so much and congratulations to your podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget, always look for the magic.